0: everyone welcome back to America's game episode number 12 I am one of your hosts Eric Vanek and you can find me and on Twitter at Eric Vanek NFL and I am joined alongside my co-host again Scott Connor Scott what's going on man it's week four uh, we're getting into it now getting some really good data points for you know first month of the season so getting into that season and getting everything you know situated there what's going on man Eric, happy to be here. Week, week four of the NFL season, we're almost, um, actually, if we take the
1: regular season, we're more than a quarter of the way through the regular season once we get past week four. Mm-hmm. So time's flying. Uh, like I said, on our, uh, on our recap show that we did the other day, uh, for those of you that haven't, uh, tapped into that before, uh, if you join the, uh, Destination Devi patron channel or the Dynasty and Chill patron channel, you can get the, uh, recap that we do and it's uh basically eric and i just kind of going through everything from the past week but we uh talked about just enjoying the process of you know we can we can probably touch on that on a future episode too just like what our week looks like and i think a lot of people that are you know content creators but also like we play in a lot of leagues you know like we're out there trying to actively participate as dynasty players and high stakes players uh, there's kind of like a rhythm and a flow that you get to each week and with injuries and lineups and what content do you consume up until you start rolling over to the next week? You know, like I, I spend the first couple of days trying to digest what happened with not only the, the stats and the numbers, but trends and how players were used and how that's going to be predictive for this week. And then it's like Wednesday, we're having to start thinking about, injuries and lineups you know like there's that transition point it's it's kind of cool yeah i enjoy it until it's gone it's a grind but then when it's gone you're like man i wish the season was back you know you go through those doldrums of june and july and you're like man i wish the season would get here already so
0: good stuff man glad to be back yeah i think one of my hardest parts is doing trades during the season and having time to like look through my roster and going out and making some trade offers and stuff. Like, it's so hard to do with with the amount of teams that I have. I just find that I, I run out of time every single week. I'm like, oh, man, I want to make some, some offers for Dak Prescott. I want to make some offers for Mac Jones. I want to make some offers for Trey Lance, whoever it is. And I just never find – that i'm able to get the time to be able to do that unfortunately so i gotta work on that i gotta make some time to to do that stuff but and then off of your point too like it's i found it a little bit easier so far this year i mean like yeah we've had the injuries and stuff and you got to kind of watch i mean the wednesday and thursday injury reports are kind of just okay wednesday wednesday injury reports are a joke Thursday injury reports, okay, I'll pay a little attention, you know, just something for me to look at on Fridays. But then Fridays, when Fridays hits, that's when the real stuff happens and I can kind of find out, okay, is this guy not playing? Is he really questionable? Is this somebody I'm going to have to really look for on Saturday and Sunday reports and kind of gauge whether I'm going to play this guy? And remember the last two years we had all the COVID stuff too, so I'm, like, thankful that we don't have to deal with that stuff as much anymore either. Um you know, with these guys missing games because they're in the protocol or whatnot. So that's been a huge relief off of me this year, having to deal with that, because it seemed like last year you'd have a new guy on it every week that you're expecting to be in your lineup, and it would just create chaos. So I'm glad that's kind of over with for the time being, hopefully. Um, but yeah, man, it's been fun this year so far. I agree. Yeah, I think you,
1: you just nailed a great point, that you don't really realize how much stress that caused uh, added stress just from the normal stress of week to week, you know, injuries and tracking all of that. And, you know, trying to keep as many teams afloat and competitive as possible. But then, you know, Saturday morning, this guy's out with COVID and the cascade effect that it has. And a lot of times it happened after you've already made moves, you know, you've already sat players on Thursday night and it's like, yeah, Saturday night, this whole offense is out, you know, and you're like, really? And, you know, it, I thought it was bad in 2021, but 2020 was like the game. You know, you remember the games were threatened in 2020. Like this game may not be played until Tuesday or Wednesday or postponed this week. And you have to make all these contingency plans. So, I th- yeah, it definitely feels like if all we're dealing with is, you know, he's not practicing with the hamstring strain and stuff like that's fine. And we get a pulse on that. I think I trust injury reports. Less and less until it's literally the day of the final practice or even Saturdays now. We're starting to get more details on if a player's traveling or, you know, you get some of the big accounts starting to break that stuff like late Saturday night, you know, mid mid late Saturday night. So you can get some prep time in. But yeah, it's, it's just been a lot less of a hassle, but it's only week four. We haven't had buys. We haven't had teams where it's like, I'm going to put this player on the shelf for eight weeks because, you know, we don't need him till the playoffs or, you know what I mean? Like, we're going to get to some of that. But yeah, the stress has been much lower this year without COVID, that is for sure. I didn't even think about that till you brought it up and it was like, Mm -hmm. you know, like we're recording this before the Thursday night game, the Bengals-Dolphins game. And like, I feel pretty pretty set with what I have set right now for that game. And then for the weekend, even with some of the players were monitoring for injuries, but imagine if like they play this game and then Friday morning, it's like two more games are potentially wiped out. it's like, nope. man, you know, what are you, what are you supposed to do? Like you, you can't play defense for every situation. There's going to be some bad luck and some variance that you just can't overcome by grinding so yeah i'm glad that stuff is behind us knock on wood sounds like the hurricane isn't going to really affect anything other than maybe some wind uh around the you know around the east coast so i think we probably avoided our first potential like postponement or movement or anything and uh yeah i guess the only thing is we get our london game this week that's always fun wake up a little early drink some
0: coffee have some football on right away when you wake up on sunday yeah I forgot about that. i'm gonna I'm gonna be waking up early and making some breakfast and watching that game, so that'll be nice. Um, but yeah, just kind of just touch on it real quick. I was looking at the weather reports for um this weekend, and it's actually not as bad as I thought it would be. Um Chicago and the Giants will have some wind, chance of rain. Jacksonville and Philly will have same thing wind, chance of rain. Uh, they're only projecting like 15 mile an hour winds, which is, I mean, it's not terrible, but it's, you know, a little costly, I guess. Buffalo and Baltimore, same thing. Uh, they should have a little stronger gust because I think that the uh, hurricane will be more in that area at that time still. So that sucks. I wish Buffalo and Baltimore was straight up, no wind, no, no rain, no nothing. Let's just see Baltimore, Buffalo and Baltimore just go at it. So that would, be that would have been nice to see, but. Can't have everything perfect, I guess.
1: Just means those quarterbacks are going to have to touch the ball forty-five times each.
0: Yeah. Hopefully, uh, Buffalo uh, allows this team to actually have more than thirty-nine plays this week. That would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: that was definitely a fluky, uh, fluky game. Uh, I've really never seen a discrepancy like that—fifty-one play discrepancy between the two teams. That's that's really hard to do. Even yeah. if they, even if there's turnovers. That, that's a lot of discrepancy between two teams in one single game. So mm-hmm. always you
0: always expect the unexpected,
1: man. That's the NFL.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. All right, so my first topic that I wanted to get into this week with you is you actually replied to a tweet on Twitter from JJ Zacharyson about um, running back starts. So I'm going to read your tweet word for word. You said 50%... Uh, 15 plus point per games at running back this year had been scored by running backs outside of the DLF uh, top 25 at the position. A common complaint from managers is they were on my bench. You wanted JJ to talk about this crucial aspect of team building and gaining access to these players in your lineup. And another, um, mentioned from that, uh, a listener of our show, Zach, uh, he wanted us to kind of expand on that and talk about it some more. So I saw that and said, all right, yeah, we'll do that this week. So we're going to break down that a little bit more. So kind of talk about, you know, what you were going with, with that tweet, like what, what did you want to really dive into on that one?
1: Yeah. I mean, in, we've done a couple episodes on warp. Uh, we talked about this before the opening weekend too, when we were setting our initial lineups, right. And how that was one of those weeks where we really don't know anything. We're just starting fresh. You're kind of guessing. And the basis of it is through three weeks. And so it's only three week sample size. Uh, but there's a couple factors here that come into play. So the first factor is uh, the, and you kind of have to pull this up and like, just really look at it side by side, but the, the ratio, and it will be curious if we actually added it up all throughout like the RB1, RB2 tiers, but if you just eyeball it, I mean the ratio of like running back relative to wide receiver scoring this year uh, is skewed skewed. So I'll just give you an example. Like the RB1 is Saquon Barkley scoring 22.6 points per game. I mean, you take that down all the way to RB12, Antonio Gibson, 14.4 points per game. Interestingly enough, uh, RB13, Austin Eckler, 14.3 points per game. Uh, Anyone that remembers me talking about this on Dynasty and Chill, the replacement value over the last decade for running back, do you recall how many points it was by chance? If you don't, it's okay. I'm just throwing it out there because I posted it a, a couple times. Uh, So the replacement value, if you're just talking about like the the median average of a top 24 running back was 14.3 points per game. So you have McCaffrey at 50, or excuse me, you have Gibson at 14.4 at RB 12, Eckler at 14.3 at RB 13. So you're right on that mark. So historically the middle range is basically the same as it always has been like your middle range, where you, you're going to find all the dead zone running backs they're right around in that range between call it 12 to, to 16 points per game. Okay. And that's making up right now, uh, between RB six Cordero Patterson at 16.3 and RB 23, Devin Singletary at 12.1. That's a big range, right? That's a big range right. to where there's basically about four points per game separating that massive range. mm mm-hmm. Uh, but then you you don't really have the high end warp running backs this year like you would in typical years either. You know, like you only have Chubb and Barkley that are over twenty one points per game. Then the next highest you have James Robinson at eighteen point eight points per game. Look at last year. I mean, last year was a down year for running back scoring, but at least you had three running backs that were over twenty one points per game, and you had another four: Joe Mixon, Alvin Kamara. Christian McCaffrey on a like a half season sample size and then Leonard Fournette that were at 18 points per game. So at least you had a little bit more of that like kind of semi difference making range last year. So what my point is, you're slowly starting to see these erode down. The top end running backs are going more towards the median. And it's been trending that way for a couple years. And even last year for the half year, you had Derrick Henry at like 24 plus points per game. You're not even getting that. Now, he missed half the year, so it didn't feel that way. But you remember how he smashed the first half of the year. Like, he was crushing everybody. You know, he, was, he wasn't he was doing it the same way that the previous guys, you know, McCaffrey, David Johnson, Gurley, Le'Veon. Like, he wasn't doing it the same way, but he was on his way to one of those massive warp seasons. So, that's the first thing, is running back scoring in general is down. The, the second thing is the wide receiver scoring – is way up. I mean, just looking at right now, you have seven receivers that are averaging 21 points per game or more. And then you have a boatload of other ones that are down in the, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18 point per game range. And that goes way further down than it does at running back, right? So then to take it even one step further, not only are the receivers relative to the running back scoring more, they're scoring more at all levels. And at the high end, you have some receivers, you know who they are. Uh, Diggs, Cup, Amon Ra, like those guys are putting up big warp seasons right now, you know, 24, 25 plus point per games. So you have that. But then the third thing is the key component. It's easy to say, oh yeah, running backs are getting outscored by receivers. I think everybody feels that, right? Doesn't it feel like the general, even your general home league kind of understands that receivers are what's smashing, you know, like just feels like that's a trend that a lot of people have gotten on board with this year. But I think the real key is, like I said in the tweet, gaining access to a lot of those running back games that you don't have to pay for. That's the big difference. And that was the point of the tweet where I said 50% of the running back starts that had been over 15 points per game. And what did I just tell you? 15 points per game for running backs, that's higher than an RB1. You know, that's like a around RB9, RB10 range this year. But if you're looking at it from a week to week standpoint, how do you get access to those those starts that you wouldn't necessarily have in your lineup? You know, how, Did you have access to the Chase Edmonds smash game last week? Did you have access to the Tony Pollard game in week two where he scored 19 points? Did you have access from the very beginning to the Cordero Patterson weeks? Did you have access to the James Robinson weeks? Now, I'm not saying that everyone had those guys in their lineups. But what did we talk about when we were setting our lineups in week one? You didn't start those guys, did you? No. You either. started the 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 safe, guaranteed touches, bell cows, yet they're not performing like that. You're, you're jamming them in going, oh, you know, Joe Mixon, he's going to crush. Look how many touches he's going to get. Now, he could bounce back and post some difference-making weeks, but I think the biggest complaint is if you designed your roster, and this is where we're going with this topic. If you designed your roster to have some of these backups that we value, I mean, you value a guy like, you know, Ramondre Stevenson, right? You yeah, value in Dynasty?
0: Sure. Yep, I mean, Stevenson, Cleel Herbert.
1: Kareem Hunt's a perfect example. biggest yep. The biggest complaint about Kareem Hunt, Kareem Hunt over the last two years since he's been with the Browns, has been basically an RB1 if you look at points-per-game numbers. Yet a lot of the complaints on Kareem Hunt are there's really no rhyme or reason of when to play him. You know, like he doesn't just necessarily smash when Nick Chubb is out. But then there's game scripts where you think it's going to be a game where they're going to play from behind. But then... Kareem hunt gets all the early down carries or he gets the goal line carries. Like you probably have missed out on a lot of Kareem hunt big games over the last couple of years. If he was your RB five,
0: right? Yeah, for sure.
1: Yet it'd be curious to go back and look at every time you didn't play Kareem hunt, who did you start and how many points did you get from him, And how many times did you go, damn, he just put up 17 on my bench and Zeke Elliott put up 11. Shit, why did I start Kareem Why didn't I start Kareem Hunt over Zeke Elliott? Right. And it's simple. It's simple psychology. The projection going into the week probably favors the Zeke Elliott because he's guaranteed to get six to eight more touches, right? just gar- mm. he's, He has better chance of fallen into the end zone. He has a better chance of getting a couple more dump off passes. It's just sheer projection and math where you're going to say, I'm going to lean with the guy that's going to get more touches. Yet the deviation between the two really came down to, it didn't matter which one you had. They both probably put up similar numbers across the course of a season week to week. One might've spiked, one might not have spiked, but if you had them both on the same team, you probably didn't get access to as many of those weeks as you could have had you liquidated one of them and just rolled with the other and then backfilled that one empty spot with a cheaper spot start like we talk about all the time so i think that's where this topic is going and i think that's the trend that i'm seeing that we can fix and now you can't necessarily fix this entirely on your roster right now but you can you can kind of think of this if you're going to make a bet that this is how things are going to continue to go and we've had so many discussions in the discord and whatnot about running back usage. And I mean, you've talked about it. How many teams now run committees with two or three running backs? And it's doesn't mean they're bad. It's just the coaches are not going to give a guy Najee Harris workload. They're just not. A lot of coaches aren't going to do that. So if you admit that and you kind of say, all right, I'm going to embrace the fact that these RB finishes are going to be a lot closer together than I like to admit. How do you get access to the ones, the players that are just as good but they might be projected a little bit lower and there might be a little bit further down the, the totem pole. How do you get access to those games from Tony Pollard and Michael Carter and Chase Edmonds? So, I mean, that's the question. So what's, what's your answer to that If you're to, if you're looking at like a roster where you have some of these guys, because I'm sure you have this situation where you have some of these guys and you haven't been able to start them, Cause you got a bunch of good receivers and you got maybe a a good tight end. You can flex and you're like, damn it. I have six running backs and I have to pick three. Like, how do you fix that problem? If you're in the midst of a season, how do you fix it? Like, what's your initial thoughts on it? I know I rambled for like five minutes, but what's your initial
0: thoughts? So for me, I would be looking you're kind of talking like those teams where you have, you end up having DeAndre Swift on it and Javante Williams and Antonio Gibson and Zeke, you know, you have all these types of guys. Like, I know it's so hard to, like, trade, like, Zeke and and those guys. Like, it's hard to get, like, even fair value back for what you think those guys are, but I'm looking to try and just tear down if I can. If I can tear down to a lesser running back, if I can go down from Zeke to – you know, like you're talking to Michael Carter's Chase Edmonds. If I could do that and just gain a draft pick back, I'll do that. If I could just get a rid of one of these guys even too and strengthen my wide receiver core, I'll do that too. So that way my wide receiver core is set for bye weeks. I could start as many wide receivers as I can. So if you got to start, you know, three receivers in your regular three receiver spots and you have three flex spots too, I – I usually want to fill those spots with as many wide receivers as I possibly can, unless it's like a two point PPR for tight ends. Like I'll I'll throw some tight ends in those flex spots point per carries. I know we're going to talk about here in a little bit as well. You know, you probably want to try and get as many of those running backs that are going to get carries in there. And you can get guarantee yourself almost 10 points. Uh, just off of the carries and yards alone. So that's kind of what I'm trying to do. Usually try to just tear down if I can get, get some draft picks and then I'll have access to a lot more of those running backs where I'll know when to start them.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's what you have to do during the season. Uh, This is, this is a very much utopian strategy that works perfect in principle until you get in the midst of a season. And then you have, you know, players injured or players usage are not what you projected to be. Like, it's not always going to be perfect. It's easy to go back in hindsight and say, this is the data, here's what you should do. But then you go, well, I have a team. I have different players. I have different dynamics. It's easier said than done. And I get that. I think that's part of the strategy of doing this on a larger scale. If you try to just do this in one league and you make some bad moves or you tear off the wrong player, it can go south and you can go well this process isn't working for me but if you're doing this across 20 leagues generally you're going to reap some of the rewards because you're you're hedging your bets on probably some of the players that you're getting you're getting in and out of certain tiers by chance you're probably hitting on a couple of these spike weeks not just across one league but across your 20 leagues if you're doing this type of thing across 20 leagues there's a pretty good chance you're going to hit on a couple of these spike week r- running backs that you wouldn't have started if you would have had six of them on one roster. So I think that that's the thing is, and especially understanding the current dynasty market as we go on week to week, things don't move slow in dynasty anymore, Eric, like shit's week to week, man. Yeah. People literally are, and this isn't just a couple leagues, you know, your, your hardcore leagues are the same way, but like it used to be that things were more dynasty principles when you're playing in, in just like a random league, but now doesn't it feel like most of our leagues are like, what happened last week? What's going to happen this week? That that's like what we're basing all our decisions on. It seems like there's less and less true dynasty moves. Right. Made anymore. And I think that is a, because there really isn't an edge in projecting the dynasty future in a lot of cases. B, there is just so much that changes in the NFL from season to season. Outside of like the really elite players and the cornerstone positions like quarterbacks, you're really probably making a bad bet if you're going into the backup running backs or the wide receiver threes and fours and planting your flag that a player is going to be doing X this year and Y this year. You know, like it's, you would agree, it's not a good bet to take a random wide receiver three and be like, he's going to be a wide receiver two next year. Just enjoy the fact that he's good now, but also probably understand that he's replaceable because there's 10 different things that could go against him. A team could trade for a guy. He could get hurt. Someone else could take some of his opportunity. They could draft a guy. They could sign a guy. Like you don't really feel comfortable about a lot of tiers of players from year to year. So I think people are just embracing the fact that, you know what, like this is 2022. I'm going to play dynasty like it's week to week, month to month, season to season. I'm not as worried about what's going to happen in two months. Mm -hmm. So, So I think that makes this strategy even easier to do. You know, you can, in theory, when you get to the season, you don't carry eight running backs inside the top 50 of ADP. I probably want three or four, but if I have eight, and they're all from like RB 20 to 50, that sounds great. You're going to hit on a lot of like backup guys that get roles, right? In that range, you're going to hit on a lot of good players. I have a couple teams where I have like Pollard, Elijah Mitchell, Ramondre Stevenson, Damian Harris, Chase Edmonds, and I'm still pretty loaded at receiver and I have two good quarterbacks. What the hell running backs am I starting? Yeah. I'm sitting here deciding between seven or eight guys and I can only play two or three mm-hmm. and I'm like, great. I'm, I'm set in that league with depth only if I need the depth though, thus far, I haven't needed the depth. I've had six or seven healthy guys every week and I only can play two or three. So yeah, I might feel it a little later on in the year, but I've been frustrated. Cause it's like, I have whiffed on You know, I sit Chase Edmonds when he scores 20. I sit Tony Pollard when he scores 19. I go, why the hell did I build the team this way? Right. And so, and here's the other thing. A lot of those running backs in that range, they don't have any trade value. What is it even worth for you go to try to trade Chase Edmonds in a league? He's probably, you're probably better off just having him right on your team.
0: Yeah. Cause you go and spam, Hey, Chase Edmonds for a second and just gets rejected everywhere. Right. Right. And
1: yeah, go try to trade even like josh jacobs or zeke like you won't even get a second in a lot of cases like so it's yeah it's crazy it it's crazy but what does that tell you about what you can learn from the future that is one of the trends that is moving usually people used to be like damn zeke's getting a lot of touches i'll at least give you two seconds yeah now people have wised up they go oh i just looked at my bench uh you know i have um you know, give me an example of a running back that's in that range. Like, oh, Hines. yeah, and, and Naheem Hines has been a disappointment this year. But I think the person looks at their team and goes, oh, yeah, you know, I got Devin Singletary. Why would I need Zeke? Right. I got Naheem Hines. Why do I need Zeke? Because really the difference between even Zeke's projected production and Naheem Hines, the, the 14 points per game for Zeke and the nine points per game from Naheem Hines, that is not determining whether you win or lose at all. Yeah. I mean, look at the warp data for that. Who cares? Yep. Great. 14 or 10. That's not determining whether I win or lose. What's going to determine whether I win or lose is how much my quarterback smashed, what my tight end advantage was, and how many of my receivers put up these ridiculous, you know, 25, 30 point per games. Mm-hmm. The big deal. You know, I you can win games with getting Naheem Hines seven points and it's like, oh, who cares? So, I think it just comes down to the strategy is to get out of as many of these running backs and just build your team around. Okay. These are the three or four I'm going to go into the season with. And I think that the next question is, what do you do if you have only three or four of these guys and then you get some injuries, then what do you do?
0: Rhetorical question, but what do you do? Answer it. I mean, you go and try and just trade for, and that's why we stockpile those third round picks. I'm going like, Hey, you know, Cream hunts out this week or Nick Chubb's out this week. I'm I'm going to go buy Dearness Johnson for a third. You know, and get those guys back. And you know, I'm just buying the running back starts, you know, like you always tell me you only need what 30 36 a year or whatever it is for your league's you know, I'm just buying those. If I can get a couple, buy a couple of starts for a third round pick, I'm going to do it. The one league me and you are in, I bought Cooper Rush for a fourth round pick. He's given me two really good starts. And I actually think I've won both of those matchups. One against you. Thank thank goodness. So that was nice, you know. So I'm just going to just buy the starts if I can, if, if I run, in, run into that problem. Yep. And I part of the theory is you're also assuming you
1: operate in a market where it works the opposite of what you said earlier. You know, you can't even sell Chase Edmonds for a second. So what does that mean? I mean, and I'll give you an example. I have put Jamal Williams on the block for a second in five leagues this week, Mm -hmm. zero offers. However, if I was in a situation like we're talking about right now, and I only had, instead of having six or seven options at running back, I only had two or three. And one of them was a guy that was questionable this week. I would consider paying the second for Jamal Williams. You know, I can get maybe two or three starts out of him. Everywhere I'm looking, he's a projected top 15 running back this week. That's worth a late second or a mid second. Right. I agree. So I'm assuming that the market is going to operate in the same way fluidly when I need the running back in the future. So I would rather be the guy that's on the buying side of that and get there by Having those extra picks, we always talk about, you got to be the guy that can go, ah, oh, I need a running back this week, literally to win my matchup this week. It's expensive to pay a second, but with a guy like Jamal, you can probably expect he's going to give you two or three starts and then maybe a couple starts down the road, you know, just as like a, a bye week guy, cause he's still scoring, you know, 11, 12 points per game when he's the backup. Mm-hmm. So like he's not a bad investment and he just fits right into that mold with all these other guys we're talking about. Right. So like he would be the guy you would want to collect, but I've had opportunities to buy Jamal Williams. So if you go in and you have, let's say you have Tony Pollard and let's say you have Tony Pollard and one of the Patriots running backs, right? Mm-hmm. You that you don't really need to buy Jamal Williams right now, do you? No. You just set your lineup. You go, okay, I got Devin Singletary and Tony Pollard. They're my two running backs this week. They have almost the same likelihood as posting one of those 15 point per game weeks as Jamal Williams did before. So the only thing I'm getting if I buy Jamal Williams is he needs to hit like that high end warp range for me to actually benefit. You know, like Mm -hmm. that's it. So I don't really want to buy him at this point unless he's going in my lineup. So. That's what it comes down to. You know, people complain like, oh, you know, I I don't need Jamal Williams and you can buy him for the future, sure. But I just think the way the market is going, you can play it this way. And I'm in a lot of leagues where it's like, if you're willing to offer seconds for guys like this, you can get them overnight. You can get them right away. But you got to put yourself in position to do it. A, you have to have the picks. But B, you got to set your roster up to where it's not that – I want to be in a position where I need to buy Jamal Williams. But if I am, it's hopefully because I dumped a lot of my running back equity that I had sitting on my rosters and put it somewhere else. Mm -hmm. I put it in the bank account for the summer and that allowed me to make a big move to upgrade at quarterback or it allowed me to make a big move to upgrade in the draft. I just spent my money elsewhere. I really didn't gain anything. I just reallocated my assets. It's like, uh, what was the example I gave the other day? If you have, Uh, like in an auction, you know, if you have an auction budget of a thousand dollars, instead of spending 20% on running backs, spend 3% on running backs and just bet that when you get to the season, you can borrow money or you can reallocate money to buy these running back spot starts even more so than you could before. But I don't know if the price is always going to be like a third. I think sometimes you got to have, you know, that, the next level pick up to buy the guys like Jamal and Tony Pollard and stuff like that. So that's the, that's the crux of the topic. Like how do you set yourself up to make sure you hit on these weeks? Cause a lot of times they're on your bench. And if, if you narrow down your equity on the running back position on your teams, you got no choice, but to start these guys, you're going to take some bad scores too. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. You start some Naheem Hines or some Michael Carter's and they don't do shit,
0: you know,
1: but at least you captured most of the, the good weeks in there as well. And if you hit on the spike weeks from your other players that in theory, you have more equity in and you should be stronger at the other spots. You know, some of my teams, they hit 19 from Tony Pollard and 15 from Michael Carter. They're going to smash you. Right. So that, that's all it comes down to. So I think that's kind of the new wave of playing it, but you have to give yourself a shot to give access to these guys. If you're holding the dead zone guys, if you're just rolling out, you know, Zeke and and Austin Eckler every week. Cool. They're giving you replacement level points. Nothing more. Right. So that's what
0: it comes down to. So another question I have off of that then is our rookie drafts every single year. Then are you kind of in the mode of what we did this year and first round picks? I'm just going to draft the, the stud wide receivers and then rounds two, three, four, five, six, however ever round your rookie draft is just pound the shit out of the running backs.
1: Yeah. I mean, that that's a good question. We're going to talk about this a little bit when we get to the, the second part of the show with the draft uh, projections. So I think the way we did it this year, you know, you and I took a bunch of, first of all, I think you and I got out of our first round picks more than most, mm. which In hindsight, you know, I wish I would have maybe made more first round picks and I had more shares of some of the receivers. Like that's something I wish I had. Uh, But I don't regret the strategy that we took taking all the running backs in the later rounds. Not a lot of them have paid off yet, but it's still early on in the year. But I think you just have to put it into scope that the purpose behind why we did that was to give yourself the cheapest shots at these potential spot starts or these Even if a guy starts buried on a depth chart and he needs two or three injuries to get up to the Jamal Williams level, he might only need one, one injury to jump up to the Naheem Hines level, you know, like he doesn't need to become like a locked in starter to hit one of these 15 point per game weeks. He just needs somebody that can be active and get eight to 10 touches in a given week in the right situation. They can still produce. So I think that strategy is right. I do think it comes down to uh, if you deplete... Because think about the way that, that I'm talking about building these teams. If mm-hmm. you deplete your teams too much over a couple years' time, there's going to be a point where it's like if you can get access to drafting a guy in the rookie draft, even if all you end up on, if hitting on is like a, a Najee or Javante Williams, it's still worth the shot just with that chance that they jump into that higher tier range. You know what I mean? Like it's Mm -hmm. worth taking one or two of those shots every other year or so, just in hopes that you do hit that bell cow or you do hit on that hero RB. They can kind of sustain you a little bit easier. What you don't want to do is you don't want to draft, you know, you don't want to draft four of them in one class. Right. I mean, think about how big of a mistake it would be. Not even from, forget about whether the guys were good or not, you really wouldn't want a team where all the equity you have right now is lumped into Jonathan Taylor, Javante Williams, Najee Harris, and Brees Hall. Mm -hmm. Like, just those four alone, are you telling me that those four alone are keeping up with three stud receivers? They're not. Mm -hmm. And then furthermore, what would you rather have to trade? CeeDee Lamb, Drake London, Jamar Chase, or those four running backs?
0: Yeah, I'd rather have the wide receivers are getting a lot more right now. For, right. I mean, it,
1: just in general, like if I had to blow up my team or if I had to go pay up for a quarterback, I'm much more apt to get the deal done in most cases if I'm willing to throw in, you know, a Drake London versus yeah. Najee Harris or Javante. Like those guys are nice when you have them, they're expensive as hell to buy if you try to get them from somebody else. But good luck if you have them trying to get the quote unquote like difference making running back value for him. People are just like, uh, eh, you know, Javante Williams, he's averaging 16 points per game. I'll go patchwork running back together way cheaper than what you're gonna charge me. Mm. And that's correct. That that's the correct way to play it. Don't don't pay two plus first for Javante Williams when you can go literally collect a week to week you know, chase Edmonds and probably get 80% of it if you just pick which one to start and and embrace the variance. So yeah, I I think by default, we're going to be like, Hey, I'm just going to take more receivers in the rookie draft. That's the trend that we're going towards, which is going to make it interesting when you get to next year because everyone's going to want running
0: backs. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask. So next year, you know, we got projected probably four, maybe five, you know, Uh, high end rookie running backs coming into the draft, whereas the wide receiver right now it's like maybe like three, four at the max that are like really top end that we think. So, what would be your strategy there? Like, do you still want to take those wide receivers over those you know potential stud running backs that are coming in, or is it kind of just depend on their draft capital? Or, well, I mean.
1: I'd be curious. This will be a cool exercise. Maybe you can do this exercise for your teams too, but go through and look at how much exposure do you have in your dynasty portfolio to the, not the young guys. Like I'm not going to say, you probably don't want to do this with like Brees Hall or Javante, but go look and see how much exposure you have to the running backs that are basically going into their second contracts or already on their second contracts. And look at how much you have of like Dalvin Cook, Joe Mixon, Nick Chubb, Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey, like look how much exposure you have of those guys and think about, you know, some of those guys are going to fall off. They're already falling off right now, but they may even fall off to where, you know, next year, Austin Eckler and uh, Alvin Kamara and Dalvin Cook are basically like in the dead zone where Zeke is right now, they're basically giving you the same thing as you're getting from like the Patriots guys. You know what I mean? They're still good. They're going to be around, but the trade clout that they have, the perception that they're difference makers is going to be much lower. So you're kind of just stuck with them. So if you can liquidate those now and even get out of them for single firsts, The idea is you're probably going to be able to flip your roster construction. And those are the kind of teams where I go, all right, my best running back is Tony Pollard. That's probably the team where I'll be like, all right, I'll take a shot on trying to trade up and get Zach Evans or Jameer Gibbs, you know, like that's the team I would take a gamble on it on. Other than that, it just feels like you're kind of chasing your own tail by drafting running back after running back after running back. And that's the difference between now and 2020. 2020, if you drafted... J.K. Dobbins, that was the dominant trade piece in your league. Everyone wanted to trade in to get that pick. Everyone wanted to get those young running backs. Mm-hmm. Now it feels like you you draft a running back, they immediately become more valuable to your team build than they are on the open market. And I think that's where the shift has been, and that's where 2023 is going to be a big challenge because we're going to have a stacked running back class, not just at the top, all the way through to the second round, you know, and we'll get into it when we talk about this data, but then like, you know, are you really excited to draft next year's Damian Pierce? If the only out you have on Damian Pierce is he better be fucking good because no one is ever going to go, Hey, I really need him. They're just going to pay you what you paid and that's it. So this idea of, Oh, I'm going to flip him for a first, maybe in a niche league randomly but I just don't see that happening. I think a lot of people are just kind of like, you know what, I'll wait until he's like really good and then I'll either pay the square market price for the elite guy or I'll just keep fading running back in general and just playing it the way that we're talking about it. So yeah, I think we're going to see a shift, man. I think we're going to see next year if you get three receivers that go in the top 15 of the draft, I wouldn't be shocked if they go 103, 104, 106. And in, in years past, it would have been, you're, you kidding me? You're not taking a round two Zach Evans over, you know, a mid round one receiver. That would be crazy.
0: I don't think now, I think today's market, they're just going to be like, ah, running backs don't matter. Yeah. I mean, we kind of did that with, um, Jamar chase a couple years ago. He was like one hundred four, one hundred five. like Pitts would go ahead of him and, and all those other guys were going ahead of him too. I remember, I mean, I faded, I didn't fade Jamar chase
1: for running back because I didn't like Najee at all. That was just sheer. That was sheer luck that I didn't like Najee. And I, but I was still taking Justin Fields, Trey Lance and Trevor Lawrence over Jamar chase. So, and that's another, that's another thing. Next year's quarterback class. If, you know, Jordan Addison or Kay Sean Boutte or Jackson Smith, Najigma go in the top 10 to a good landing spot. Are you for sure taking C.J. Stroud over them or Bryce Young over them? Like, just yeah. for sure, are you moving up as aggressively as you did for Fields and Lance? Because that was a mistake that we both
0: made. Yeah, I think it's definitely something I'm going to have to think about for sure. I mean, it's no guarantee that these, you know, we all said, oh, Trevor Lawrence, he's, he's a top eight fantasy quarterback coming in, you know. But that hadn't happened yet. I mean, he's getting better for sure. I mean, everything's looking pretty good for him this year with the with the coaching change. But that didn't come out. Tr- Justin Fields—he was my quarterback number two behind Lawrence. We we both love Fields. I ain't working out. I mean, you you have a couple um, Twitter polls up right now. I think the one you had was who would you rather have in a dynasty super flex, Justin Fields or DJ Moore right now, and it's fifty fifty. Like. And that's a right. receiver nobody even wants. All right. And I, I saw the other one was Juju, but it was like field 75 to Juju 25. But that's just, it's just crazy that, you know, in a super flex, that's where we're at. But you know how it is in super flex leagues. Quarterbacks are always king, and they're probably still going to be. So we'll see how that draft capital works out next year, especially if there are like three top five quarterbacks, you know, that go in the top five in the draft. I think those guys will still go pretty high.
1: Well, I mean, it it comes down to, obviously if you hit on CJ Stroud or Bryce Young or Will Levis and they become the next Josh Allen or Deshaun Watson, like you smashed, right? Right. Like a, a hit at quarterback. If you hit on a quarterback and they become a top eight, top 10 quarterback, you smashed. There's no doubt. The problem is, that gap between they're being valued that way, like Lance and fields and Lawrence were to actually get to that point. Mm -hmm. That's where you lost the value. You know what I mean? Like that, when it came to sheer production, that's where you lost the value. And it's just very hard to project to go from sure. We know if a guy is a top 10 pick in the NFL draft, he's probably going to get years of opportunity. But if that opportunity is years worth of, you know, Trevor Lawrence last year or Justin Fields production for the first 15 starts of his career, what the hell are you even getting
0: mm. nothing?
1: And you're just seeing the value get flushed week after week after week. And so it's definitely safer to take the receiver, not that a receiver can't bust, but I think we're going to have to be a little more cognizant. And then also on the back end, like we haven't really talked about it much, but there's windows where you can buy quarterbacks too you're going to have to overpay. But what would you rather do? Spend three 23 firsts on two quarterbacks next year and a running back or give up three firsts right now for Jalen hurts. Which one would you rather do?
0: Probably give up the first for Jalen hurts right now. It hurts. Yeah. It,
1: no, no pun intended. It hurts to give up those three future firsts, but if you're able to accumulate those assets in the way that you build your team, it's almost easier because there's always going to be a window where someone goes like right now, people are panicked about Kyler Murray. You could probably get Kyler Murray. If you offered three firsts, you know, a couple 23 firsts and a 24 first and a player, you could probably get Kyler Murray. He might, he might fade to black and you wasted them. But if he hits like that, that is a, less of an opportunity cost right there. Cause you know what you're getting Say so saying, Oh, I'm going to just, I'm going to draft the next Kyler Murray. Like, yeah. well, that's what we thought. And then we, so I think it's, it, it'll just be interesting to see how people behave because right now a lot of people are scared of drafting rookie quarterbacks and everyone in dynasty is fading running backs. Yeah. We have a class of both of those really strong coming in and shitty receivers. So, We'll see how everyone behaves next year. It's going to be, that's a really
0: fascinating dynamic that I'm not really sure how to predict yet. So, right. The last thing I wanted to talk about on this topic, though, was you wanted to talk about Jonathan Taylor's trade value. And I've, you know, I still think he's at least a two first value player, if not maybe more than that. Um, what are your thoughts on it? Because I know you had different thoughts than I did um, earlier in the Heisman tier chat. Yeah. I mean, I'm not the best person to ask the
1: true trade value because I think that we're talking two different conversations when you say, okay, what would you be looking to sell for versus what would you be willing to buy for? Like for me, that gap is way further apart than probably what most people would say, which just basically means I'm not the person that would ever be buying and I would always be looking. I'd be the person always looking to sell for the most. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm I'm the active seller that if I have him, he's probably on the block. And there's almost nowhere where I'm going I want to buy him. Doesn't exist. So I'm firmly like shifted towards I'm only doing one thing with Jonathan Taylor. It'd be trying to liquidate. Of course I want to get
0: three first. No, of course I'd want to get three first for him. Can't I, I though? Say that. I would say you're probably on that boat for all the like top 12 running backs At, Barkley. The
1: position in general. Yeah. yeah well,
0: nausea, not nausea.
1: everybody. If I can buy a a one that is producing in a similar tier but for 40% of the costs, I don't care about the longevity with Jonathan Taylor. That I think that's the difference is I could care less if he's only in his third year and he's 23 24 years old. I don't care. Uh, If I can buy one Barkley season at 50% of the cost of Jonathan Taylor, I would have rather done that and worry about the extra 50% where I'm going to allocate that later. So yeah. Can I pivot off of Jonathan Taylor for Saquon Barkley in a first?
0: Is that a feasible move? Uh, I'm sure it is, but I don't know how many people would be doing that right now. Very few would do it. And that just speaks to why Jonathan
1: Taylor is not worth three firsts. Because right. as soon as I try to take your Barkley and you have to give me a first, your head immediately flips to the thought process of, wait a second. Yeah, why the fuck? Am I- <laughs> Barkley can outproduce Taylor for this year and maybe next year. Why the hell am I giving the pick?
0: Right, exactly. Yeah. So you right.
1: go right back to the like two-year window. Do you really trust Jonathan Taylor in 2024 to be smashing? No, I don't trust He could, but... I'm not going to sit here and bank that he's not going to have a catastrophic injury between now and then. And so, so you really just automatically see the scope of that deal and you say, I'm not doing that. Right. So I, that's why my, my, what I said I would sell for is first of all, how many teams in your league have 323 first that are actually willing to buy a running back?
0: Uh most of my leagues, the ones who have three 2023 20, firsts are is Dynasty and Chill LLC and uh he doesn't buy running backs.
1: Okay, well say it's not me though. <laughs> it is the 0-3 team with four firsts buying the running back? No, definitely not. Okay. So in theory, the three first price really only exists for the buyer that is Contending or trying to contend, but has extra picks, which is more likely going to be like how you and I play. We're going to be the team that's got four firsts to throw around. And it's like, all right, I can make a big move. My big move this year is going to be Jonathan Taylor or Jalen Hurts. Like, I just bought a Jalen Hurts for two 23 firsts and 24 firsts. That's probably the big move I can make in that league. Right. I still have two more firsts, but that's it. Like, I don't have another deal like that I can make. So I have to pick my spots. And I'd rather do it for a guy like Hurts right now who's you know, breaking fantasy than a running back. But there's just not, there's, everyone will say, oh, he's worth three firsts. But then you have to think about how many leagues does the team with three firsts also have a team in position to buy Jonathan Taylor and have a manager that isn't me or you that would actually want to buy a running back. It's like, just doesn't exist. So sure, in theory, he might be worth three firsts, but what logistically can you trade him for? Like, assuming you can't get draft picks, what would you be looking to sell him for if you had a share what would you be looking to sell him for and you even admitted the Barkley deal is like that kind of tear down deal ain't happening
0: yeah so I mean you're gonna have to go down to like I mean another running back I mean like uh and I don't want that that's the other thing too I don't want these Camaras and Dalvin cooks and mixins or anything like that. Cause they're old and they're just going to expire here in a year or two anyways. So, so I'd want a younger guy. I'd want maybe Deandre Swift. I'd maybe want uh, Javante Williams, you know, guys like that and get a first back. That's probably what you're going to have to do if you want to do that. But yeah, I guess you, you've, you've kind of convinced me that that three first price that we kind of threw around the off season, you should have just took it in the offseason If you got it.
1: I think you nailed it. As soon as you narrow down the lists of running backs, you would want to pivot to mm-hmm. those are going to be the guys that the other manager is going to go. Why would I trade this guy? He's he's, he's doing well mm-hmm. like the Barkley types, right? Yeah, That's going to, the, the guys that are, you're going to be targeting are going to be the ones that person's going to go. Damn, this guy's scoring 19 points per game. Why am I adding him to get Jonathan Taylor? If they're, if they have half a brain, they're going to go, I don't care about Jonathan Taylor three years from now, because who the hell knows what's going to happen three years from now. The whole running back landscape could be different in three years. So you have to go down into the uncomfortable tier where you have to say, all right, I'm, I'm going to bet on Joe Mixon bouncing back. I'm going to bet on Dalvin Cook bouncing back. And you probably don't want to do that. And just you only get one first. Do you really want to trade Jonathan Taylor for Dalvin Cook and one first when Dalvin Cook's already banged up?
0: No, definitely
1: not. Okay, so it, I think it's real hard to do the running back and a first pivot down from Taylor because the guys you're going to want are going to be the ones that that manager's probably already built their teams around, and they're like, yeah, I'm I'm not really motivated to tear up with my extra assets here. So that's why I suggested a cross positional trade, like mm. Taylor for a first. But then I also get one of these receivers that maybe isn't worth two firsts, but is worth more than a first. I said a Lave. Maybe that's a little light to most people, but I think a Lave is worth a first. I agree. So I don't think you can do like Drake London or like Amon Ross St. Brown. But I think it's, it's a receiver that's in that tier. Like if you could get, you're telling me. Like Devontae
0: Smith, somebody like that
1: or if you could get Garrett Wilson and a 23 first for Jonathan Taylor, are you ever getting a better trade
0: than that? Probably not. No, I, another idea I came up with in my head while going through it. I mean, it, it c- kind of just depends on who owns the picks, I guess. But if you go to your bottom, like three teams in your league that are zero and three right now, why not go for their 2023 first and, and you're giving them Jonathan Taylor? Like, it's going to be hard for them to pass that up. If you, so if you can get that 2023 first and maybe you get back one of those running backs, we keep talking about Jamal Williams, Tony Pollard, Naeem Hines, those type of guys, you get that plus that really high 2023 first, you know, kind of look at your settings and your rules and see where the picks are going to fall. Uh, you can probably make a pretty good assumption like, hey, this guy's going to definitely be top three, if not maybe the first overall pick. Maybe you can target it that way too. Yeah, I mean, I
1: I think that's a viable trade. It's worth exploring. Mm-hmm. I I do think if if it's you or I that's 0-3 though, like, I think a lot of people are going to go, why would I bother trading for Jonathan Taylor? They
0: might. Yeah, they might that's why I'm saying they, they might because they're like man I can get this 2023 first and all you know I can get Taylor and all I got to give up is Tony Pollard too yeah you know, that's a, that's an
1: interesting uh that's an like, interesting thought that you had because I I can see some people saying well I'll just flip Jonathan Taylor because he's worth three first right
0: mm-hmm. and
1: I'm like yeah sure you can have him because I've already tried trading him in this league for three months no one no one's giving me three first mm-hmm. so you're basically trading them into like a a dead market, you know, like you, you already know he's going to be tough. I mean, have you? I've done that before where I'll buy an asset in a league because I think it's just a good deal. And I go, oh, I'll be able to flip it later. Two months later, I'm still holding it. And mm-hmm. I go, Yeah, no wonder this guy traded him to me. He took the first second that he could get. You know what I mean? But he just got out because no one else wanted the guy. He probably sent other people offers, including this player, and could never get rid of him. So right. now I'm stuck with him. So I think it's kind of the same thing. Like, not that you're stuck with Jonathan Taylor, but. Buying him because you think you're gonna flip him later, that's probably a bad move. But that that's interesting to send them. So you're saying go to the team that you think's like guaranteed 101, 102, and just do it straight up and try to get like a, a filler running back in that can give
0: you a couple weeks. Right. Yeah. And then you can have your shot at CJ Stroud or Bijan, whoever whoever your top pick is next year, yeah. Yeah. Or
1: you can you know, potentially add that pick into a bigger trade and upgrade your quarterback or something like that. Whereas the team that you were trying to upgrade the quarterback with, you know, you're trying to trade away Matt Stafford to get, you know, Kyler Murray or something like that. And the guy just don't want Jonathan Taylor. You know what I mean? You offered him Stafford and Jonathan Taylor for Kyler Murray and he declines it. You're going like, that's a fair deal, but he just doesn't want the running back. You know, he might be like, like us, he just doesn't want to, put that much equity right now into buying a running back
0: mm-hmm.
1: yet you take the pick. And then all of a sudden you add a couple seconds and a piece in that pick and he'll do this. He'll do the swap. You know what I mean? Cause he'd rather have the flexibility of the pick. So I think that's the power of being creative like that. But I think a lot of people would go, man, you know, like I know you, would you trade your Jonathan Taylor right now for the guaranteed one Oh one? Yes. Guaranteed, Like 100% it's the 101, regardless of whether you're contending or not. Would you have the stomach to make that move?
0: Yeah, I think I would. I, I would take Bijan. And then if you did that move, you're basically holding I that would, pick I as – tri- I would hope I could get, like a, like I was talking about, I can get like a Tony Pollard back with it or something like that.
1: But even if you can't, if you got a couple seconds or thirds, you, you're kind of just able to gamble the fact you could maybe buy some running backs – later on, you know what I mean? Right. But yep. but I think that's crazy to a lot of people. A lot of people cannot wrap their head around the fact that if they're a good team and they're contending why they would make that trade. Mm-hmm. So I do agree. Like you want to try to get the plus, but we're just trying to kind of talk through the theory of, you know, what his trade value is. So I, th- I think if you can get a 23 first, even a random one mid, mid first next year, and one of these young receivers, you ain't getting London, but if you can get yourself one of these other, young receivers, you know, even if it's like T Higgins or Pittman or someone like that. Like I I'm okay doing that, you know? That, that I think that gives you assets that are much more flexible than a running back on your roster. That's part of the argument of why I think his value is a little bit lower cuz there's just it's just a lot of people that don't want to
0: invest in a running back that costs that much. So, right. And you'll talk about this more um uh, just kind of plug it here a little bit. Monday, October uh, 3rd, coming up here, you're going to debut Destination Dynasty. So I'm sure you'll be talking more about that, uh, this kind of stuff on there coming up.
1: Yeah, I'm going to do a uh, just a sneak peek. I'm going to do kind of a deeper dive into this running back stuff with the, the running back fi- finishes and what it looks like historically, but also try to put it into like practical application terms. Because I, I think if this is really easy for you and I to, to grasp because we've talked about it so many times. It's very hard in practice though. Like you go and look at a roster. It's easy to visualize what it should look like, but then you go to your roster and you go, all right, I know my roster construction is probably a little out of whack. And we're in the midst of the season where even I'm guilty of picking up like the Richie Jameses and stuff of the world. You know what I mean? Cause it, it, points are all that matters right now. How do you fix it though on the fly? More importantly, if you can't fix it fully, how do I prep? So January and February, I can start fixing it. And mm-hmm. what are the appropriate costs? Because I think we overvalue our players a lot of times. We undervalue getting ourselves in alignment with having the right roster construction, at least going into the season. That's something I need to be more cognizant of next year. I was about 80% of the way this year, but not not 100. And I want to be closer to 100 next year. So that's what I'm going to debut on the first show.
0: Sweet. All right, and my next topic I wanted to bring up um since I did promise this at the beginning um when we started our podcast, but we really haven't dove too much into it because it was just the start of the season and draft season and whatnot, but um, I did want to get into some college stuff on here now, me and Scott are your typical just college fan. we watch it every weekend, you know we enjoy it, but we're not like super deep diving into it like we do with NFL and dynasty right now but we at least you know know the top names pretty much at each position and I just want to kind of go over this week the uh the ADP that the uh, Destination Devy crew and all the mockers that we've had um, doing drafts over there for us, what the kind of ADP is that we're getting over there so far. So maybe we'll just kind of go through like each position here, maybe like the first round or two, and kind of talk about um, some of these guys and what we got going on here. So, I mean, the first pick overall right now that we're going through at 101 is Bijan Robinson. I've I, guessing you assume that's pro- probably much gonna be the one oh one pretty much everywhere.
1: Yeah, I think until the uh quarterbacks settle in to mm-hmm. their you know, we see their capital, we see everything that we talk about with uh, you know, what kind of makes a potential elite efficiency quarterback. Like I think if until we see that exactly, it's everyone will just take Bijan one oh one without a doubt there may be some leagues where you get into like 14, 16 teamers where a quarterback is like seen as the smash one Oh two. I could see right. people taking them over Bijan just for what the conversation we had about running backs. But yeah, I think that's pretty, uh, pretty clear cut at this point. And, and I'll just add to this. You and I are more into this from a uh, logistics perspective, trying to forecast this, what the rookie draft class is going to look like uh-huh. and where the tiers are going to be and where the leverage is going to be versus I, you know, I don't think you and I really could tell you the difference between RB4 and RB6 or wide receiver four and wide receiver eight. We're just kind of looking at this like here's where the general range of these players are
0: going to go. So that's, I think, the value we bring when having this topic. Right. And then next up as well, um, we'll, we'll kind of just talk about the four quarterbacks here because that 102 is CJ Stroud. 103, Bryce Young, 105, Will Levis, and 106, Anthony Richardson. Do you think that's pretty much how you think it's going to look right now? You know, if you were looking at it, Stroud, Young, Levis, Richardson?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess there's serious questions whether Richardson declares or not. But I think this, what this data tells you, if Richardson declares and he hits the cutoff of the threshold of what we look for and he doesn't get Malik Willis draft capital, Uh he will be right here in rookie drafts, right? People will chase the upside. Even if he is the quarterback four and he goes where like Lamar Jackson went like the end of the first round, Uh he'll still be an easy first round rookie pick. People will just chase it no matter what. So I think that's what we can gain in this data from. And I'll get into that in terms of like what historically it looks like from like a positional standpoint. But I think this is, this is just signaling that don't you agree if Richardson is in the draft and he goes in the first round, it doesn't matter where or what pick he will be. He will basically be chased like Justin Fields was. People will not care if he fell and got passed over by a bunch of teams. They will still
0: draft him high, just looking for the fantasy ceiling and nothing else. Right. Like it wouldn't shock me if, um, he went over Will Levis too, you know, he like, no, up.
1: no, but I think that's going to be team dependent. Like what team's willing right. to gamble a high pick on him, you know? So, right. but I, this just tells me if he's in the draft, he's going to go high unless he gets third or fourth round draft capital, which I hope if he was going to get that draft capital, he wouldn't go in the draft,
0: but right. Yeah. I wish he would go back. Yep, I agree. Um, all right, so then we'll, we'll continue on with the running backs here since we already talked about Bijan, but uh, the rest of the first-round running backs. So 104 is Jameer Gibbs right now from Alabama. Uh, Sean Tucker is actually the 108 um, from Syracuse. So that was interesting to me when I first pulled this up. Zach Evans is the 110 from Old Miss, and Tank Bigsby is the 112 from Auburn. So do you think – I think for me, it's still a question on whether Tucker is going to be this high. Like if Tucker goes in round three, I don't know if I want to take him in the first round of my rookie drafts. Like he would kind of fall to like the Damian Pierce kind of range for me. Um, Same for Zach Tank Bigsby. I don't know if Tank Bigsby is going to be a top, you know, a, a second round pick or middle of the third round pick, high third round pick either. Do you think Do you agree with that too?
1: Yeah. I mean, I do think that, I mean, everywhere, if you just go to like mock draft database or a couple other people that I trust that have put out mocks, uh, they, they do have four or five running backs going in the top 50, including Sean Tucker, including Tank Bigsby, including Zach Evans. So I can see why people are putting them here. But I also think when you're doing mock drafts, the reason people take running backs and quarterbacks higher is because I think the perception is, when you're making that pick and you draft Tank Bigsby at the 108 or 109 in the mock, you're kind of assuming they're already going to hit that draft capital because the obvious answer would be if Tank Bigsby goes in the fifth round, you don't even bother picking him at all. You know what I mean? So it's like you're already assuming the draft capital and then you're betting on the fact that this is the this is the positional value because it's a scarcity thing. And I think this is where the crux of the conversation comes up that we were talking about earlier. This ADP, I mean, right now you just read it off. Four running backs in the top 10, four quarterbacks in the top 10. That does not align with how the current dynasty market values those positions, right? Right. So do you think this is what your typical rookie draft will look like? Or do you think this is more of people just mocking and they go, well there's a bigger impact if I hit on one of these positions. So I'm going to take that early in the mock, but if there's four or five receivers with similar draft capital in the range, I may not be doubling and tripling down on tank Bigsby. That was a late second round pick.
0: You know what I mean? Right. Um, I think this wide receiver class though is a lot weaker than that we've seen in, in years past. Like last year's blows this one away. In my opinion, uh, just the way that those guys have been playing so far, like, Right now, I think the only like three that I actually trust and think are gonna be really good pros are boote Jackson Smith and Jigba, and Jordan Addison. I don't trust Quentin Johnson. He's two oh two wide receiver four. I don't trust Quentin Johnson at all. Like sure he's got the talent and all that, but I mean, just looking I like you mentioned it the other day, uh you were looking at the TCU box score and Max Duggan threw five touchdowns. You're like, oh man. Quentin Johnson much of smash you go down and look at the receiving line he had like three for 29 with no touchdowns and you're like how the hell is this even possible like this guy's not dominating in college right now so I think I'm very worried about him Josh Downs I like a little bit he's been doing pretty good I think Josh Downs is definitely a guy I'll be higher on Jermaine Burton is definitely not smashing at Alabama like we thought he would he's like not even like, I don't even know if he's their wide receiver one right now, to be honest. Um, Marvin Mims is doing pretty good. Cedric Tillman has really come on from Tennessee. Uh, that's been a guy that's really gotten some buzz. But other, honestly, other than those top three receivers and maybe Josh Downs, I don't really trust any of these receivers.
1: It, it is definitely trending that way on the mock sites. Uh, mm-hmm. The receivers are starting to fall. You're starting to see more guys fall. Uh, out of the first into the second out of the second into the third some guys fall into day 3 which isn't a death sentence but obviously when you're drafting a day 3 receiver there's always risk and that almost should never be in the conversation of like a top 15 pick in a rookie draft mm-hmm. so if that's the case like right now mock draft database has four in the going four in the top 20 five in the first round and then has so five in the first and four more in the second okay mm-hmm. So you're going to be weighing basically second round receivers against first or second round quarterbacks or running backs. And that's going to conflict with the current dynasty market that values receivers very high. And I think that's going to be the fascinating discussion is the NFL is moving towards a place where they value the hell out of receiver. Mm. Every team in the league almost going into the offseason could use a receiver. Maybe not need a receiver, but you look at half these teams and the receivers that they're still rolling out. And you're telling me they couldn't use a, a Marvin Mims or someone like that as their number three.
0: I mean, hell the giants could use like
1: three of these guys just D- to be their starters. Exactly. And so and same thing <laughs> with that, and then you add into the fact that there's even more and more analytics people in the NFL that go, okay, there's going to be somebody in the draft room or in the front office that's going, the biggest bang for your buck that we can get early production at is receiver because look how much they cost a, when you have to pay your own guys, but look how much it costs to go get a guy on free agency. Like you, I mean, everyone complained about what Christian Kirk got on free agency. Well, first of all, the next Christian Kirk probably ain't hitting the market, but if he does, he's not going for 16 million a year or 17 million a year. So I think these teams know you, you, I wouldn't be shocked to see more teams starting to take the Steelers approach where it's like, well, we don't need a wide receiver three, but we're going to take one because that's the positional value. It's like taking a tackle or a corner or defensive end. Like teams just take those over and over. Every other year, they're taking one in the first two or three picks Mm -hmm. because that's what you need. You need to backfill those positions because you also know if you hit on a couple of them, really good chance you're not keeping them past their rookie contract. So it's going to be interesting to see with this swell of receiver value in the NFL, how does that work with a bad receiver class? You know what I mean? Do right. Does it mean that teams are going to push up the Jermaine Burtons and the Parker Washingtons into range where you're like, damn, Jermaine Burton went in the top 50. But then you'll get somebody like Ray that's going, he shouldn't be a top 50 pick. Mm-hmm. So do you still draft him just the same as you would have – Elijah Moore or George Pickens, or do you, do you push him down a little bit? That's where we're going to have to weigh kind of the profile and the perception of the player versus the draft capital. Cause what the draft capital is going to be there, Eric, the, the NFL is going to draft. I've told Ray this for a year. The NFL is going to draft a lot of receivers. Yep. probably higher than you think if you don't think this is a good class. So if Jermaine Burton goes in the mid second and you go, well, he sucked at Alabama. Are you going to pick him in the first round of a rookie draft? Because the current trend says you should, but you may be like, I don't like Jermaine Burton. I don't think he's any good.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So then what are you going to do with the pick? I think that's going to be the fascinating dynamic to where I think there's going to be more value created with the picks. Then I'm going to be excited to pick the players. You know what I mean? Right. So let's, I mean, let's get into that. Like, what, what are your thoughts on, uh, you know, you have a bunch of mid to late first next year the quarterbacks and the running backs are gone. Are, are you going to be scared of, of picking those receivers, even though, you know, man, I I don't trust Quentin Johnston, but he went in the freaking top 25 of the draft. Are you not going to take him because you just don't trust his tape or p- people you listen to, you know, Dane Brugler or Ray are going like, man, this guy sucks. I don't know yeah. why he's a first round pick. Are you going to bite the bullet or and follow the draft capital and follow the market? Or are you going to kind of lean on your own evaluation?
0: No, I've always been the the type of player that leans on my own evaluation and what I'm hearing from from Dane Brugler and Ray and all these other draft podcasts that I listen to. I that's where I typically tend to lean um, off of those. If I could trade those picks, though, you know, rookie fever is a thing. It happens every year. People were like, "Oh man, I got to get this pick. Got to get this pick." And if I could, hey, I'll I'll ship you this one ten so you can draft Quentin Johnson. You give me, um, you know, one of your wide receivers that underperformed or something. Let's say, yeah, Jamison Williams. I can get Jamison Williams for that pick. Um, you know, maybe I get like a third round pick back with it or something. Here you go. It's all yours. I'll t- I'll take my chance on Jameson Williams on a profile that I liked a lot better. Uh, maybe he didn't really hit this year because of his injury. Um, and I get the extra draft pick and, and just let you take that. That's kind of what I usually t- tend to do. Or I can try and trade out, um, just trade it out for a 2024 first. Here you go. Somebody give me a 2024 first for this pick. It's yours. And I'll just uh, wait until next year.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's going to be one of the key things on how you handle those picks. I think everyone's going to be very comfortable picking in the top five, six, seven, because even if you don't get one of the running backs or quarterbacks, you're probably going to be in that tier of those top two or three receivers that you feel more than comfortable picking. Mm -hmm. It's when you get outside of that. And that's the thing is that the value of the picks, the one, oh, I mean, just using this ADP, let's assume we have three quarterbacks, three receivers, and two running backs, right? Let's just, let's not even count Levis. Let's just say the two quarterbacks, Young and Stroud, Bijan and Jameer Gibbs, and then the top three receivers. So you get to that 108 and now you're at a point, okay, I feel like there's not an obvious tier based on what we're looking at right now. This obviously could change, but history says, damn dude, there's two first round receivers available to you. There's a first round quarterback available to you. There's three second round running backs available to you. That shouldn't be a pick that you trade out of yet. Now you're looking at, okay, I got to really be confident in the player that I'm picking. And if I don't like that, that could be kind of the dead zone of where your picks are. And you kind of want out of those tiers. So are you somebody right now that will send a, a pick that's not like a guaranteed one twelve, but like a playoff pick right now, would you send it? for Jamison Williams straight up? Um, Just so would, you don't get stuck in this 109 range where it's like, damn, I wish I would have been able to trade for Jamison Williams instead of make this pick at taking Josh Downs.
0: Yeah, I would try and, like like I said, get a third-round pick back with it, something like that, if I can do that. I mean, these 2023 firsts are, are still valued pretty highly. So, yeah, yep. if I can do that, um, especially like – you know, if I'm a team with multiple first, and I'm a team that's like kind of in the middle or tanking or whatever, I'll go ahead and, and try and get Jameson Williams and just take his zero for the year, and then just bang, and have him for next year too. You know, like I don't mind doing that. Like I'm not going to give up my early first round pick if it's, it's my only pick. I'm not going to do that. But if I have, you know, like your teams, you have two or three extra first and I'm like in the middle of the pack or whatnot, like I'll go trade for JMO with that pick and, and do that. So yeah, that's something I would do.
1: Or you use that 23 first while it still says random 23 first, you think it's going to be a 109, 110, but someone else might think it's going to be a 106, 105, right? Uh-huh. I mean, you've seen me make a couple of trades and I've, I've traded away, you know, a couple of players in a first and a second and got like Amon Ross, St. Brown, you know, if you can throw it in a deal where you, You kind of pay up just a little bit, but you secure an asset like Dogtown always says from DNC patron. He says if he's trading a 23 first, he doesn't necessarily care what he's getting as long as he can project that that player he's getting is going to have some insulation. Like I'm pretty confident I can sell Amon Ross St. Brown for a 23 first whenever I want. Right. So really I'm not losing a first. I'm losing the pick, but I'm not dealing it for you know, Devonte Adams who could fall off a cliff. And then I'm, I'm screwed. You know what I mean? I blew the pick. I didn't keep any insulation. So I think that's key. I want to move my 23 first for the exact discussion we're having. Mm-hmm. But if I can buy some insulation with it and I pick up a guy that I know I'm going to feel comfortable, even if I wish on the clock next year, I could have got Josh Downs instead of Jamison Williams. I'm not going to be kicking myself saying like the process of picking between those two was bad. Mm-hmm. I can live with it. You know, I can't live with the fact that I took Jameson Williams and I traded away the one Oh
0: three. Yeah.
1: And then I missed out on the chance, not even to draft a guy, but like, damn, the one Oh three could be a pick that's worth two could be firsts the- on the clock.
0: Yeah. Or the first receiver off of the board. That could be just better. Right. You know? Right. So, exactly. Yeah. So I think that's,
1: that's a strategy. Like you got to look in your, at your teams and figure out, this is where that time thing comes in. You got to figure out really, truly where you think your team stands and decide if that's a pick you're willing to bet against trading, trading away.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Cause it's a big move. If you only have your own first and that first is tied to the value of your team and how your team performs, it is tough to, to trade it away for a random receiver. You know, like that's, that's a tough move to make if you only have one first, but I think that's some of the assessment that you can do. Um, before you go over the rest, I want you to go over the rest because I think it, this is the second round is where we're going to see some of the players that can jump in and out, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to share some data, though, just to kind of see where it lines up. Uh, so historically, over the past decade, uh, try to guess how many quarterbacks on average go in the first round.
0: Uh, I would say
1: three. Very close. 3.1. Okay. So 3.1. And on average round two, we've only seen 0.8 quarterbacks go in round two over the past decade. And I say round two only because I think in a lot of circumstances, uh, a round two quarterback, I know it's not awesome, but a round two quarterback is usually worth a, a top two round rookie pick. Like I'll still take some of the second round quarterbacks, mid-second, late-second of a rookie draft, right? Maybe even high-second, depending on who they are, what their skill set is. So for purposes of this, though, you're only on average in the first two rounds for quarterbacks, you're looking at about 3.9 historically that go in that range. So if a class has more than four quarterbacks that you're taking, like in the first two rounds of your draft, and let's even narrow it down. You remember the the podcast we did on the draft pick warp? Yeah. So, like the even the mid to late seconds start to really fall off. Yep, it's really about four quarterbacks. If you get more than that, you're 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 seemingly ahead of the curve in terms of the strength of the class.
0: That was one of my points I wanted to bring up. So I might as well just bring it up while we're on it. So if I looked at I'm looking at this ADP now. Some of these guys are going to go back to college. I understand that. So we're not going to have all of these guys. But from 101. So let's say through the fifth round, which is most people's rookie drafts, we have 15 quarterbacks currently listed on here that would go in the draft. Now, obviously, some of these guys are going to go back. Some of these guys are not going to come out. Some of these guys are, will come out, but they'll end up in, like, the fourth or fifth, sixth round, and we're not going to even take them. But it's curious to see, like, man, what if we do get – I mean, the odds of it are, are very low, but if we had all of these quarterbacks that came out – and they were all up there, man. Like crazy to think about. So I'll just name. I'll just name off the fifteen guys here. So there's Stroud, Young, Levis, and Richardson. We already talked about. Uh, right now, Tyler Van Dyke is next. KJ Jefferson from Arkansas. Tanner McKee from Stanford. Uh, McKee has gotten some buzz as um, a guy that's like the scouts like and stuff like that. Uh, Hendon Hooker from Tennessee, his case will be interesting because he'll, he'll be a 25-year-old rookie coming out next year, so it'll, it'll be interesting to see how NFL teams value him. I don't think that matters too much at the quarterback position, but still will be interesting to see. Cam Rising from Utah, Cameron Ward from Washington State, Jaron Hall from BYU, who I really like, uh, Spencer Rattler from South Carolina, DJ Ugalele from Clemson, Devin Leary, North Carolina State, and well, this one's Bo Nix. This is like Trace McSorley all over again. So I wouldn't count on Bo Nix, but. Well, yeah. and there's
1: a couple others like Michael Penix from Washington. Yep. It Pen- is one that I'm like, all right, I could see him jumping all the way up in this range. There's Phil
0: Jerkovich, who's I mean, basically been around forever, but like there's, there's other. Slovis, Grayson McCall, the one that isn't even listed on here that I think needs to start going in our drafts, Aiden O'Connell from Purdue. That's mm-hmm. another one too. So,
1: well, and I think this is the difference between mock drafting in September versus next year.
0: Right. If you're
1: mock drafting in April, April, This will be a lot more narrowed down, right? Yeah, I agree. And I think people, when they get in a mock draft, they go, they're in the fourth round. They go, you know what? I have no clue who to pick. So let me just take Cam Ward. He has a 1% chance of going in the first round. So I might as well just take him. So it creates this like vacuum effect where there's a ton of quarterbacks in these mocks. Right. And I've told Dan dynasty Barry, this, who runs the ADP at destination Debbie, I've said, people are taking way too many quarterbacks. It doesn't align with what I said, like the the four quarterbacks that on average go in like rookie draftable right. range. Right. That doesn't align with the 15 that are going in the mock draft. So right. a lot of these are going to be honestly running backs that just get drafted that people just take like we did this year. That's when it's going to fill right. most third and fourth rounds. Um, but it's curious because, uh, you know, on average, only about four quarterbacks go. Uh, let me ask you the same with running backs. On a- and I'm here. Here's how I break it down: quarterbacks, the first two rounds. If you're outside of that, I don't care. Receivers, the first two and a half, three rounds. If you're outside of that, I don't really care. Running backs, the first four rounds. I'll be a little liberal with the running backs and say the first four rounds. That's where the bulk of your first two round rookie picks are going to come from. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how many running backs on average go in the first?
0: In the first round, I'd probably say it's like 0. 0.5.
1: <laughs> it's higher because we've had more 1.3. So, but I think you're like me. Do you really care if a guy goes pick 32 or pick 44 at no. running back? No, it's the same thing. Cause it's mostly just that. When does the team need them and when do they have a pick? You know, that's all it is. Right. Um, so how many in the second would you say on average in the last decade? I'd probably say four or five. Uh, 2.7. Oh, okay. So when you combine first and second round running backs, that's only four. Now, how about round three and round four? I'll lump those together. How many do you think total combined between those two?
0: Between three and four? Um, that's probably a little higher. I'd probably guess like six or seven. Close. It's uh, 6.4
1: on average. So if you take the four in the first two rounds and 6.4 in the round three and round four, let's just round it up. Let's say 11 running backs going in quote unquote draftable range. Okay. So that's 11. We have the four quarterbacks that puts you at 15. Now, last thing, and this is, this is what's been pretty sticky year to year. Receivers that go in the first two rounds.
0: Receivers that go in the first two rounds, I'm going to guess 10 to 12. Close.
1: 9.4. Okay. Which just tells you with the way the NFL values it, they're going to probably take like 10 receivers in the first two rounds, which means we're going to assign 10 receivers, pretty respectable dynasty draft capital. Then it's just going to come down to, okay, which guys do I want? Which guys do I not want? who are the Denzel Mims and the LaVisca Chenaultes and the Terrace Marshalls versus who are the Elijah Moores and the George Pickens. So not all of them are going to be guys you want, but on average, we're talking about if you, if you give it 11 running backs, if you throw in the round three receivers, which are shaky, that brings the number up to about 13. And then the quarterbacks are at four. So right there on average, you're looking at about 28 players. Historically, that go in like desirable rookie draft range, and then that that will get narrowed down based on you know who is this year's Tyquan Thornton. You right. know, Eric ain't drafting him no matter what. <laughs> and there's always a couple running backs and a couple receivers and a couple quarterbacks, like a quarterback that will go in round two that can't run. No one will take that guy. Yeah. So it it kind of aligns with the strength of the class, which is my argument for the value of these picks, even if you don't like the players, which I think that's the way that a lot of us are trending. Like we don't like the 23 players as much, but I think we're banking on the fact that the NFL is still going to draft a lot of players in the desirable range for dynasty value, which what's your conclusion with that?
0: I'm sorry. What was that again?
1: what's your conclusion on if the NFL is going to draft a lot of players in this desirable range to be valuable for dynasty, but we
0: don't really like the players. What's the takeaway, man? I mean, the draft capital, that definitely means a lot for these players for sure. It always has. So, you know, they're going to get the chance, they're going to get the chance to play. So you kind of got to value that a little bit more. Like, you know, there's, there's always that time where, you know, Quentin Johnson was take, you know, and everybody's like, oh, he sucks. Everybody's talking about him in the fantasy community, fading him. And he ends up going, let's say, you know, 25th overall, something like that. But then he falls to like the middle of the second, end of the second rounds always. And then he ends up smashing because he's going to get the opportunity. So, you know, we got to kind of accept draft capital a little bit, I guess. I I know I have to. I know I've I've made mistakes on that in the past, like Daniel Jones. I mean, Daniel Jones wasn't really that great, but you had some fantasy useful seasons out of him, but he was falling to what? The middle of the second, third round in in our draft. Sometimes it was crazy. I would say the same on on Josh Allen. Oh, Josh Allen can't throw. He sucks, you know, but he was going second round too in our drafts. And then now look at him.
1: Yeah. And I think the, the, the major theme here though, is if you don't trust the players themselves, It's to use the fact that you have the picks and leverage the fact that other people may be thinking the class is going to be better than it is just in terms of like, you don't necessarily want to be stuck in these ranges where you're forced to pick some of these receivers that you think are overvalued, for instance. So I think it really just says you want to capitalize on the fact, and this was always my argument about getting the 23 picks. It was never about how good the class was going to be because I didn't know how the good class was going to be in 2020 and 2021 when I started getting the picks. It's supposed to be good, supposed to have all these big names, it's supposed to have studs at every position, but what if that doesn't happen? And we're kind of starting to see that not happen. Mm -hmm. But if you have the picks, the picks are still going to be valuable for what you said. So I think you got to use the picks to move and move off of the picks in the ranges where you think you want to bet against those picks and the players you're going to get in that range. So, I mean. Yeah, we've done that. Definitely. I mean, and on this and on this list, I mean, here's where I think I have an issue with it. Like wide receiver five, Josh Downs; wide receiver six, Jermaine Burton; wide receiver seven, Marvin Mims; wide receiver eight, Cedric Tillman. So, like wide receiver eight, Cedric Tillman, going at the two eleven, I will guarantee you the wide receiver eight in the class is going to get drafted in the top fifty of the NFL draft, and they are not going at two eleven. Right. The current dynasty market is going to love whatever receiver goes in that range. They're going to get pushed up higher to the nature of the position and how it's valued in dynasty. I think what this ADP says at receiver is people aren't really sure. It's what you said earlier. They're not really sure about Marvin Mims or Jermaine Burton, or they're not sure which one it is. So they push the guy down because they just don't think the player is that
0: good. Right. Right. Yeah. And you look at like Kenny McIntosh, uh, Blake Corum, Zach Charbonnet are all ahead of Tillman right now. But, like, those guys could all easily be, like, fifth-round picks. Like, I heard um, from one of your um, – I think it was one one of your members or maybe Ray's I, – I forget which one. But talked about how Charbonnet was, like, valued as, like, a fifth or sixth-round pick uh, by the committee last year, and that's why he didn't come out. So, mm-hmm. like, if he's, you know, valued that way already, like – Tillman is definitely going over him as well. A lot of other receivers. Like if these guys end up going in the fifth, sixth round that I just mentioned, like the receivers are definitely going ahead of him. There's going to be other running backs that probably jump ahead of them. There's probably going to be some tight ends that jump ahead of them. So.
1: Yeah, it's just, it, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, but I think that, that we can take away some psychology from this mock draft. It, it tells you what should be happening is the receivers should be going higher The running backs and the quarterbacks should be going lower. But I think that tells you where people are psychologically with these players. And you nailed it at the beginning. People don't trust this receiver class. Now part of it is Ray doesn't trust this receiver class. And it's mostly people that are listening to Ray on a daily basis. Talk about how, you know, if he, if they listen to wake up and he's going, Oh, I don't know about these receivers. Like Mm -hmm. that's going to reflect like, psychologically in the rookie draft, you know what I mean? Mm. But, you know, ultimately it, it's going to be, it's going to come down to what the profiles look like and what the draft capital looks like, but it's just an interesting exercise. I think we can continue to watch for some trends in this ADP and that baby reflect on what people are going to be thinking heading into draft season.
0: Yeah. And then I'll, I'll just mention again, man, I'm, I'm really fascinated by this quarterback class, like, especially if Stroud, Young, Levis, and Richardson all come out. And then some of these other guys come out too that we're kind of valuing kind of highly. Like I've seen um, Mel Kiper. He's talked about Jaron Hall. He's talked about the Cam Risings. He's talked about Cam Ward, uh, Aiden O'Connell. Like he's mentioned these guys on his like top 10 list. And if those guys come out, man, like how many could we have another – 2021 quarterback class where we have five or six or seven quarterbacks in the first round. Like it's definitely in the realm of possibility. Like if we can get uh, that many quarterbacks again. Hey, if it happens,
1: all that's going to do is drive up the value of your rookie picks. Yeah, for sure. To the point where you don't need everybody to like those guys, but you just need one or two people to like them to where you go, man, I, I kind of want to trade for that 110, 111, 112. We didn't have that this year. That's what killed the value of the 22 picks was the fall of the quarterbacks. You know, we had the, I mean, you sensed it, the fall of the quarterbacks and the lack of options at running back. It kind of just felt like, Hey, I got to pick a receiver. Cool. Worked out good. You got some good players, but there just didn't seem like there was a lot of movement this year in rookie drafts for the lack of quarterbacks and the lack of running backs. And that's always, that's always what drives people to, you know, their roster construction and not having those two positions a lot of times he's going to drive them to seek those out by trading for those picks more. So I'm here for it, man. Right. Give me five top 50 running backs. Give me
0: seven first round quarterbacks. That'll right. make it a circus so, next year. We'll just kind of run through it real quick. Like if you look at the AFC East, I would say the jets could be in the possibility of looking at a quarterback. If Zach Wilson fails this year uh, at AFC North, uh, probably nobody I could, unless you think Kenny Pickett's a complete failure, but I don't see that so far. No. Um, so I'd probably say the AFC North is set. AFC South, I would think the Colts got to look at one, the Texans got to look at one, and the Titans got to look at one. All three of those teams could be in the market for um, a rookie quarterback this year. I mean, I know you you like Malik Willis, but... Do you, you know, if they if the Titans bomb out, like we think they might here and they end up with a top 10 pick and they got a shot at Will Levis or Anthony Richardson, you know, having Malik Willis, I don't think that stops them from drafting Will Levis or Anthony Richardson. Do you?
1: No, I I think you're right. I think the, I do, I think it's likely that the jets will look at a quarterback. No, but. I think it's if easier to go it's easier him. to go through the teams and go, they are not gonna look at a quarterback. Everyone else could. And I think if you just say they're absolutely not going to, it's mm-hmm. less than half the league.
0: Well, yeah, that's why I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep going here. AFC West, probably none of those teams. So that's the whole AFC there. NFC East, the Giants are definitely gonna look. I think Washington could look, and then Dallas and Philly are fine. AFC North. Uh, the Lions will definitely look for one. The Bears could if they are just completely out on fields in this new regime, uh, which I doubt, but they haven't really put anything around them either. Um, I think it's a, definitely a possibility. Um, I think the Vikings are probably locked on to Cousins for another year after that. Uh, the Packers South, could look
1: for another one to replace Rodgers.
0: <laughs> to replace Jordan Love, yeah.
1: Or, or two years down the road with Rodgers, you think that'd piss him off? Oh, that would that would piss me yeah, The Vikings and the Vikings and the Packers, like it or not, they're gonna to be too good this year to to pick one probably, and they're not gonna pick, you know, quarterback six off the board to replace their current guy. They're gonna go another year. So I think you can cross right. those off. It's just the Bears, I would say. Has it has a
0: remote chance. Right. I think Carolina definitely Atlanta, I think Atlanta should definitely look at one of those top guys if they're everyone
1: in, in everyone in the NFC South. Could. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, you're right. Every team in the NFC South, even Jameis, because Jameis is going back to James. Although the Saints traded their first, so yeah, they're, they're they'll be out of that. And then um, the West, the Seahawks, obviously, and that's probably it from there. So, and the Rams will probably trade their first here for for T Higgins or something. I don't know <laughs> at some point. So. Yeah, but yeah, so I mean, it,
1: there's there's options
0: and there's there's always that
1: that's the thing is that's just the type the teams you named. You named at least a dozen teams that could look.
0: Mm-hmm. And we it's also, not all going to be rookies. It's going to be some veterans that end up going there, too. Like, right. If Tannehill leaves, Tannehill could go somewhere like, you know, what if Arthur Smith says, oh, I can win with Tannehill and they just go get Tannehill and Ritter, you know, and just stick with that. You know, they could do something like that.
1: Yep. I mean, how do we know that it, it, crazier things have happened, but how do we know there's not a couple veterans out there that we think they're stable? And mm-hmm. then it comes out that they're really not, you know, and it doesn't mean they're not good. It just means maybe they, you know, maybe that maybe a team makes a swap somewhere, you know, like that expect there to be a dozen teams that in the mix for
0: yeah. a quarterback, which just opens the floodgates for, you know, Garoppolo could end up somewhere next year. Probably. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's there's all kinds of different possibilities. So I'm not saying there's going to be like 15 rookie quarterbacks in this draft that are worthy. But I wouldn't be shocked if we have like maybe seven or eight. And we have a really strong uh, quarterback class that we can consider from. And like you said, it really bumps up the value of our rookie pick. So I'm looking forward to that.
1: Yep, that's trust me as much as I might say, hey, like I, I don't really think there's going to be four quarterbacks or five quarterbacks in the first round and I'm not excited for them. I'm here for, I think we agree. We want as many skill players drafted high as possible, right?
0: Oh yeah, for sure.
1: Just, just bring some more value back to those picks makes it a little more chaotic when it comes to draft time and your picks hold a little bit more value. This was, this year's class was, it's almost lucky that we got out of a lot of our picks, Mm -hmm. but it was very deflating when you didn't have the picks to get out of, you know, like when you had to make those picks, this was one of the most. This is probably the most deflating rookie draft I've been in. Honestly, like, there's a couple players you wanted, and it was just like, okay, yeah, cool. I have to make a pick.
0: Mm -hmm. It
1: wasn't that fun. So I'm kind of I'm ready for 2023 to bring that chaos back.
0: Yep. And then we'll just quickly touch on the tight ends. There's really not much to touch on here since we didn't mention them. But uh, Michael Mayer, obviously, he's like the 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 hot ticket at tight end and people are talking, Oh, he's going to be a first round uh, pick in the NFL draft. I think me and Scott are kind of on the same page that he's a little overrated. Like his athleticism is not going to be where it needs to be. So he's kind of like, would you kind of just call him maybe like a better version of Kyle Rudolph when he came out, something like that.
1: So I've been very adamant that Michael Mayer is overrated. Right. Right. And so I went to the, the Debbie marketplace discord and I posted about that. I asked Shane Hallam, who I really respect Shane Hallam. He's a grinder. He's an NFL draft grinder. And he had made a comment on the last Debbie marketplace podcast that he had Shane. He had Michael Mayer locked in as a top 10 rookie pick. And yeah. if you're going to be a top 10 rookie pick, you, you're going to be, have to be a first round pick in the NFL draft, right? Yep. I agree. And he said, yeah, he's a locked in first rounder. So I went on there and I said, you know, one interesting take from your last pod. I said, Michael Mayer, I've heard a lot of people discuss the fact that he's not going to be as athletic as we want. Um, You know, I'm big on looking at 40 times and RAS score and stuff. Like if I I went and looked at how many, how many tight ends have gone in round one of the NFL draft in the last decade, Uh, how many of them have had a 40 time under four, seven that have gone in the first round in the last decade?
0: Under four seven, uh, or, or higher than four seven. So, higher, um, I'm gonna guess. I I'm probably gonna say zero, but maybe one. Zero. Okay, zero. So
1: now I'm not saying Michael Mayer can't run a four seven, but I think it's fair to say I'm not sure he can run a four seven. Which means if he runs like a four seven five, for him to go in the first round, it's gonna be a team that goes. We don't care about his speed. We care about his agility, his production, the fact that he dominated at Notre Dame. Like, There's going to be other reasons they're pushing him up, right? It's -hmm. not going to be athleticism. So I go, yeah, I'm just not sure if he's going to go the first round. And if he doesn't go in the first round, I'm not wasting a rookie pick on him. He's basically like another Trey McBride or a Pat move. Those guys weren't first-round rookie picks. You were an idiot if you took them in the first round. So I'm like, he's probably closer to those guys than this elite tight end that has to be a first-round pick. Here's what he said. And it's made me change my tone. Okay. Uh, he acknowledges the fact that Notre Dame is going to help Michael Mayer. Right. They've produced like five NFL tight ends in the last four or five years. Like yep. that's going to help. People already know him. They've known him for years. He, he's already, it's almost like recency bias isn't going to hurt him as much as other prospects because they've already been slotting him in this slot for years. Right. So right. that's the first thing. Uh, he also said he ran a four, eight, four in high school.
0: Okay.
1: Verified 484 at one of their events. So like, okay, we have a time to say he's not going to run a Jalen Weidermeyer 5.0 or something right. like that. Right, right. Okay? So he's not going to completely bomb out. So assuming he got just a little bit faster is in better shape than he was in high school. Maybe he can run a four seven, mm-hmm. but this was the third thing. He goes number one and shout out to Shane. Cause he literally has changed my mindset on this. Number one, he's going to ride the fact that he's productive, He's a physical specimen from like he's built and he played at Notre Dame and he's going to ride number one. And he's, you know what he's going to do? Just do nothing. He's going to do nothing. He ain't going to the combine. Why the hell is he going to run so people can go? He's the least athletic tight end in the class. Right. He's just going to show up and be like, dude, I'm a first rounder. Yeah. I'm not going to test. I'm not going to do any agility scores. We're not going to get a RAS score on him. Yeah, why would he want to put a Raz score out there? Do you think he really wants to see a six point eight Raz score? Yeah, when there's yeah. six other guys in the class posting a nine point five? No, right. he's just going to be, dude. I'm I'm a stud, and I don't have to do anything because you've already had me in the first round.
0: Right. I mean, so that was his
1: opinion. What well, he ain't going to do anything. There's no way he's going to match up athletically. So why would he even bother? When I think athleticism at tight end matters like more than anything to these teams. They don't draft
0: unathletic tight ends. Right. And that that and I think I agree with you that he's probably gonna be a little unathletic and like his RAS score will be like in the sixes, like you said. And that fits that goes uh, below your threshold of where you want your, your RAS score tight end. We're not gonna get a RAS score. Well, well, I I know, but would have been assume, right. There. Yeah, we're gonna assume that that he's probably you know like a four seven five, like you said, or something like that. It kind of makes- be
1: that low, but it it won't be. He's not gonna be one of these like, uh, okay, he posted a nine two raz and he went in the first round like that. That's a that's an elite. That's like a TJ Hawkinson type profile.
0: Pro. Yeah,
1: but he's probably gonna be closer. Like he's a, maybe a less athletic Pat Friermuth, but that's not a bad player. That's just not a consensus top 10 dynasty pick. Right. That's the only yeah. thing I'm challenging. I think he's probably damn good. It's just, it, I see people mocking him in, I mean, where did he go in the mock? He was at, he's
0: uh, 201.
1: 201?
0: Like, yep. I, I don't know. And, I, and like, like, I, 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 acknowledge that he's good, but it just like, gives these like Kyle Rudolph vibes. like, He's never going to be that guy that has 800, 900 receiving yards. He he just seems like that, you know, 55, 60 catches, maybe, maybe 650, 700 yards. He'll catch you, you know, eight, eight touchdowns because he's a red zone threat. Like, I don't ever see him being like that difference maker that like a Kyle Pitts or Mark Andrews or Dallas Goddard, like any of those guys are ever going to be. Like, so he would just be like, and kind of like where I value almost Hawkinson right now. Like I don't think Hawkinson's really that big of a difference maker, and I know Hawkinson's a lot more athletic. Like Noah Fant, super athletic, but he isn't doing shit right now. Like I just think Michael Meyer just kind of falls falls in that range of of those tight ends for me, where it's like it's not really a difference maker.
1: Yep. No, you stated it perfectly. I mean, if you drafted Pat Fryermuth or TJ Hawkinson mm-hmm. in a first round of a rookie draft, you it wasn't a smart pick. Second round, you know, 204, 205 in, in a tight end premium. Okay. I can live with that. Mm. I think that's, that's just the disconnect is you get a lot of people saying he's a locked in first round pick. And I'm like, I'm not taking him over a first round receiver. Right. You know, I'm just not chasing. Cause for him to hit, he's pre- he's going to have to hit above the Hawkinson range. And like, that's probably not a great bet. So interesting right. discussion, but it was, I'll give a shout out to Shane. Cause he basically just like everything you're saying could be true, but He's not stupid. He's not going to show up and put a 6.8 RAS score on
0: the board. Definitely. And I think we'll definitely have um, – we'll have Shane on as a guest when it gets closer to draft time too. I think that will be really interesting to have like these kind of conversations with him too. So, Yeah, like for sure. It. All right, man. Well, we're going to play America's favorite game before we get out of here. Are you ready? Uh, I have no clue what's coming this week, but, yeah, I'm ready. I don't either because I just kind of made it up on the fly as we went. Perfect. Yeah, so I was trying to think what would be a good one, but. okay. any sport, who is your favorite? Who's your favorite coach? Any sport, any sport, man. Yeah, who's a coach like doesn't have to be a guy who's coaching now. So, like if you want to do Marvin Lewis or something, you could do that. But it's kind of like who is your favorite coach that you kind of just admire and respect? Any any yeah. sport, yeah. So ba- basketball, baseball, football, whatever.
1: Any sport. Um. All right, I'll I'll give you one that I really liked. This uh, goes way back in the day, but how about Lou Pinella? Lou Pinella, okay. Lou Pinella. He was a he was a Reds manager when I was little. I was a Reds fan. Mm-hmm. Uh but I mean, he won. I mean, you remember the Mariners team that they had that absolutely was dominant. They didn't win the World Series, but like. You know he had some, he had some teams that were really good with the Mariners, with the Reds. I mean, he's managed in, uh, you know, a lot of different places and always been good. So I was always a huge fan of him. And then he had the, you know, he had some outbursts too, where he was just entertaining too. Right,
0: man. I'm surprised you didn't go with torts, John Tortorella.
1: No, nah, I mean I like him too, but no, not. Lou Piniella is what came to mind first.
0: Man, there, there's so many different ones that I like. I, I kind of like um, I I don't know for whatever reason I just think I just love Belichick I love his press conferences just his his demeanor during press conferences. Um, obviously, he was uh, I was pretty young, but he was the coach here with for Cleveland when I was a kid. Uh, obviously, not as established as he is now, but I don't know. I, I just always like Belichick. I respect the hell out of him. What he does his game planning, the way he goes about everything I've always admired. So I'm going to kind of take the easy route here and go with Belichick. All right.
1: I can respect that. I think even if you don't like the Patriots, you got to respect the,
0: yeah, I was always that one, you know, one of those guys off F the Patriots. They suck. I hate Brady. I hate Belichick, but then you get to the point where they just keep winning and winning and winning. And you're like, God damn, I just respect these guys. Like they just keep doing it. Like, um, I hate the Yankees, but Derek Jeter, I gotta respect him. Like he played the game the right way, was a great player, um, and all that did every did everything right. Was out there every single day. He wasn't like one of these guys who was always hurt, um, just grinded. You know, so like I have respect uh, for those types of of players and, and coaches like that. that just, that just keep doing it. So yeah, Belichick, man, I, I think you got to throw Nick Saban up there too. Like, I'm not like the, the big, biggest Saban fan, but you got to respect what the hell he does every single year, uh-huh. switching players in and out, in and out every single year. I mean, like you're, uh, You know, with Kentucky, Calipari, same thing. They're switching out. I mean, it's even tougher in college basketball because these kids are all one year and done, basically. So you're only getting them for a year. You got to get the most out of them as a freshman uh, before they leave you. So it's like it's even harder in college basketball.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely hard to win because there's, you know, a, a tournament is harder to win than it would be like in college football. I think if you can get there, it's easier to win in football than it is right to win yeah. a tournament in basketball, but yeah, that's, I, I'm, I, I'm indifferent to Calipari at this point, but I, I will give him credit. He gets a lot of shit for not winning a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I will give him credit. He's had a lot of teams where, uh, they were in the mix and he basically had to take a brand new roster and be able to mold it within two or three months mm-hmm. and get it to a point where it's like, they're operating like they, they're upperclassmen. And that's, Easier said than done when you're dealing with, like, truly kids. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, I think then, there's, the, there's a team-building aspect there that I think he's underappreciated for because it's a lot tougher to do it when you're cycling in nine new players every year.
0: I mean, imagine how many national championships Calipari and Kentucky would have had in basketball if they were um, just like football and the, they had to stay for three years, the players, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, I hear that all the time, but they wouldn't have got a lot of the players. The reason they get some of the guys is because it's like, oh, that guy last year smashed as a freshman. Let me go there and try to do the same thing. So it is, right? It is a little uh, self fulfilling when it's like, yeah, they they weren't. You can't just take a three year window and be like, yeah, they would have had those fifteen all stars on one team. You know, right. would have never. Anyway. Right. But yep. yeah, I get it.
0: I get it. All right, man. Well, we are, uh, I don't know, about 15, 20 minutes away from the Bengals and dolphins kicking off. So I know you want to go watch that. So we'll get on out of here. But uh, no, I've enjoyed this week's episode, man. It was good.
1: Yeah, good stuff. Uh, check out Destination Dynasties coming. coming. Uh, first episode will be uh, October 3rd. Um, it's prob- The first episode is probably just going to be a podcast um, until I figure out what I'm going to do with live streaming. But there's going to be a live streaming component to it so I can interact uh, did take questions, take topics on the fly. Cause I think that's going to be important. And th- this is kind of a show where we can go into the weeds, you know what I mean? And spend a couple hours like grinding on some of these topics. So um, I, I hope to do a little more like live streaming content on there. And I definitely will bring guests on from the DD team, uh, to talk some strategy and take some questions and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah. check that out. October 3rd or probably the first one will be dropped.
0: Yeah, we we definitely go deep in the weeds. I mean, you were talking about, oh, this one could be like an hour, hour 15, and we're almost at the two hours. It's
1: like clockwork, dude. I said an hour, and I'm like, it'll end up being two, and we're at 154. So
0: yeah, (laughs) it's literally like clockwork. (laughs) Yep. All right. Well, you guys can follow me at Eric Vanek NFL on Twitter, and you can follow the show at America's Game Pod on Twitter as well. Make sure you guys rate, subscribe um, to the YouTube and to the podcast as well. Here uh, for Destination Debbie. Make sure you leave some reviews for us. That really helps us out. Make sure you guys sign up for the newsletter um, that comes out every Friday too. I've been um, putting in my top. Um, plays stream plays for you uh, during the week so any quarterback outside the top 12 any running back outside the top 24 any wide receiver outside the top 36 and any tight end outside the top 12 last week i hit pretty good on all four of them so Tua uh was my quarterback he did pretty decent minus the injury even for 39 plays i think he still did pretty good my running back was Naeem Hines. I think he got you what I – well, he said the 8 to 10 points. I said he could get you. Chris Olave was a smash for me. He, he did really well, obviously. And Tyler Conklin was really good last week. So if you need some sleeper plays, I, I give them to you in the newsletter every single week so you guys can check that out as well. It's um, allgas, uh, dot beehive, uh, dot, or slash subscribe, and beehive is B-E-H-I-I-V. So make sure you guys subscribe to that and we will see you uh, next week on America's Game Pod.